Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Well... I don't know. There is reality, and there is State Representative David Bowen. Remember, State Bowen was the guy that uh, showed up at this protest. He shows up, apparently, at a lot of the protests, and he's the one that showed up at the protest on Saturday, August 8th, that was out in Wauwatosa. You had 50 or 60 people that had gone over to the residence of of Joseph Mensa, the Wauwatosa police officer who's now suspended with pay. They went over to his girlfriend, and, and you had a group of people that, that showed up. They, they had hit the uh, Target store earlier in Brookfield, bought all this toilet paper and things like that, and this group of protesters, apparently accompanied by a state representative, show up with the intention of vandalizing the residents. Like, like throwing toilet paper and stuff. As we said when this happened, I mean, you would think most people grow out of that by the time they're like a junior in high school, but no, apparently not. So you have this group that, that descends on the house, and I, I just love it. This Oh, it's peaceful protest. Well, no, the, the group went there with the intention of vandalizing the home. That, that was what the intention was. There was nothing peaceful about this. And one guy has a shotgun. And the shotgun ends up going off and going through the the kitchen door. And remember the state representative, Bowen, he comes up with this thing. Well, I I, I didn't exactly see this, but I've been told what happened is Officer Mensa went out and, and he grabbed the shotgun, released the safety and pulled the trigger himself. Now, you, you listen to this and you just you just wonder does anybody else recognize just how absolutely crazy and bizarre th- this sounds? But that was his story. He was sticking to it. All right. Well, the district attorney. Now, John Chisholm, this Milwaukee district attorney's office, does not have a reputation of being particularly aggressive when it comes to dealing with out-of-control protesters. But apparently, even in the Milwaukee County, we know what the district attorney's office limit is, and that is showing up and firing a shotgun blast through the kitchen door of a home. Here's the story as reported on uh, Fox 6. Two people have been charged after suspended Wauwatosa police officer Joseph Mensa was assaulted outside his home and a single round from a shotgun was fired at his back door on Saturday, August 8th. Okay, um, here's the deal. Ronald Bell is facing one count of second-degree recklessly endangering safety through the use of a dangerous weapon and one count of battery to a law enforcement officer. William Lofton is facing one count of second-degree recklessly endangering safety. Here's what the complaint says, in essence. crowd of around 60 people gathered on Saturday, August 8th, outside Mensa's home near 100th and Vienna to confront him. Neighbors told Fox 6 off-camera that dozens of cars began speeding up and down the street before protesters approached the home yelling and throwing toilet paper. To which you want to say, just grow up. According to the criminal complaint on that Saturday, which was a week ago Saturday, August 8th, at approximately 8.17 p.m., Wauwatosa officers were alerted to a caravan of citizens and vehicles that had been at Mayfair Mall a few hours earlier. Let me stop there for a second. And and this is a very real point that I've been trying to make. Mayfair Mall is incredibly fragile. This is not a large group of people. This is a a 
a relative handful in the protest world. You're talking about 50 or, or 60 people. A lot of them are the usual suspects, and they have been allowed to close down Mayfair on multiple occasions. And at some point in time, this, if it hasn't already, is going to have a huge impact because people are just going to stop shopping at Mayfair. So it's way past time for authorities to do what the mayor now says he's going to do, which is to enforce the law. So in any event, okay, officers were alerted to a caravan of citizens and vehicles that were at Mayfair Mall a few hours earlier. They had now arrived in the, the neighborhood in the city of Wauwatosas. So, Wauwatosa. Officers were aware that the caravan was at that address as a result of, again, previous actions by the officer, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so here's what it says. Investigation revealed that once the caravan arrived at the residence, Mensa came out of the house to try to talk with the group. When he did so, Mensa was assaulted, and a single round from a shotgun was fired at his back door. According to the complaint, based on witness statements and a review of the surveillance and cell phone videos, an individual carrying a shotgun who was later identified as Bell joined the assault on Mensa. Okay, so th- this should be just you know a-, a huge warning sign to everybody out there. When you hear all this talk about, all oh, these are just nothing but peaceful protests, etc. Number one, this group went there with the express purpose of vandalizing the man's property, or in this case, his wife's place, his, his girlfriend's place. And secondly, at least one guy goes armed. He's got a loaded shotgun. This is not a peaceful protest. During the, okay, so Bell joined in the assault on Mensa. During the assault, Bell was holding a shotgun and it discharged, striking the door frame to the residence. The crowd eventually dispersed and the scene was secured by officers. On August 11th and 12th, Wauwatosa detectives conducted Mirandized interviews with Bell. According to the complaint, he admitted that he was the individual with the shotgun during the incident. He stated that the gun discharged while he was holding it, striking the residence while he was confronting Mensa. Bell stated that Lofton, this would be his partner in crime, drove the vehicle to the residence where the confrontation occurred. Bell stated that after the shotgun discharged, he went back to the vehicle and Lofton accelerated away from the scene. So in other words, let's get out of Dodge after we fired the shotgun round. So at least two people have been charged. And again, this does answer this larger question of what what does it take for, in Milwaukee County, protesters to get charged when their behavior goes over the top. And, and we now know that at least at least even John Chisholm's office draws the scene, draws the line when you fire a shotgun blast, you know, through somebody's back door. Refreshing, I, I guess. As long as we're talking about Chisholm, and I've sent out a couple tweets about this, I, I have a note to the protesters. If, if you must protest... It's really, the protests, at least in my opinion, at this point in time, need to be directed to to the district attorney's office because you know, all these protesters are saying to the mayor and the fire and police commission, you, you got to fire Officer Mensa. Okay, well, none of that is going to happen until the district attorney f- finishes its criminal review, his criminal review to determine whether there's going to be charges issued against Joseph Mensa or not. Somebody needs to tell the protesters that you can't just fire somebody, in this case somebody with civil service protections, for no reason a- at all. And if it turns out that his behavior was completely and totally appropriate, 
you know, and the review says, no, this was a justified sort of shooting. Well, okay, that is it possible for the Fire and Police Commission to still try to fire him just because there's not going to be criminal charges? Yeah. But if the investigation comes back and completely clears him, as the police seem to believe it's going to, then you've got no basis at all for firing the man. That That's it. You can say, well, he violated rules. But again, if the criminal investigation comes back and finds no rules were violated at all, you've got no basis for firing him. Firing him. That's why nothing is going to happen in this regard until the DA's office finishes its investigation. The shooting was over six months ago. If you want to protest something and you want to have a beef with something, I think it is reasonable to say, why is the district attorney's office dragging its feet on this matter? It should not take six months to finish an investigation with this regard. I'm sure if if they don't have all the forensic information back, if they don't have the ballistics back, I would be stunned. It shouldn't take six months. Witness interviews, I'm sure everybody's been interviewed three or four times. If the reason they're not making a decision is because they are afraid of the political ramifications. If we clear Officer Mensa, that's just going to make more people upset and they're going to take to the streets. Well, you're, you're going to have to come to that conclusion at some point in time. Nothing happens until they decide. And, and so the sooner a decision comes out, whatever that is, follow the evidence, follow the facts, make a decision, and then let the chips fall where they may. And if that means more people want to go and protest, okay, fine. But the protests aren't going away, one way or the other. Make a decision, and then you at least advance advance the ball. And then people can say, okay, where do we go from here? The investigation has resulted in charges against Officer Mensa. I think it's unlikely, but it's possible. Or the investigation has cleared Officer Mensa. Okay, fine. Then what does the Fire and Police Commission want to do? But until there's a decision, nothing's going to happen. So like I say, if you want to protest, I mean, direct the protest at the DA's office for, again, not coming up with a decision on this in six months. The sooner John Chisholm poops or gets off the pot, in this regard, the better off everybody's going to be, because then again, you, you move to the next issue instead of just letting this whole thing hang fire. Back with more in a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know that I am a huge fan of the U.S. Postal Service. I I, I am. Um, I my in my experience with the the people who work to deliver mail has been just uniformly positive over over most of my entire life. I when when you go into the post office, I, I think the people that are working behind the counters are, are very very good. So I, I'm a fan of the postal service. Having said that. There have to be changes that are made. And whether you do it before the election or after the election, let's take the politics out of this. You know, I I know President Trump was in favor of making various cutbacks, and that then, you know, led to these things always trying to sabotage the election and stuff. And so now they put off changes till after the election. And and that's, that is all, that is all well and good. So I, I don't, I don't look at this as a political thing. And I don't want to talk about mail-in voting in this capacity. I'm just saying I think changes need to be made to the Postal Service. And I would start with eliminating Saturday delivery. That's just a small step, but I think it's it's a step 
that you have to take. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you really need to get the mail six days a week delivered to your house? Now, now here's here's some of the numbers on this. The Postal Service has not turned a net profit since 2006. That's 14 years. Between 2007 and last March, the Postal Service has incurred cumulative losses of, get this, $83 billion. All right, $83 billion. It owes more than $11 billion to the U.S. Treasury. It owes $59 billion in mandatory but unpaid contributions to the employee pension and retiree health funds. I mean, that, that, those are staggering numbers. Now, in fairness, Congress put in requirements on the Postal Service, including pre-funding retirement health benefits, that have made a bad situation worse. All right, here, here's the deal. Um, the Postal Service has been trying to become more efficient, but the problem is, even though it's not a government agency, you've got Congress that controls it. So whenever it tries to do things that an ordinary regular business would do, well, it, it ends up being hamstrung. Okay, over the last 20 years, the overall volume of mail annually has fallen by 31%. 31%. First class mail, which is a profitable service, has declined by 33% in the last 10 years. Package delivery has increased substantially, but it's not filled the gap. I mean, so we, we all understand the, the problem, and this is a problem that newspapers have. It's a problem that brick-and-mortar retailers have. That things things have changed. I used to actually write lots of letters. I, I don't do that. I, I, the, the only time I can remember writing letters has been actually when, when somebody I know has died, and I can remember I've, I've written a letter to their spouse or maybe a letter to their parents in one case or something like that, but I, I don't write letters anymore. I used to pretty I used to exclusively pay bills through the mail. That, that was just it. You'd get these bills. Well, I, I almost never do that. I mean, all my regular bills, it's all I, I I get I get the notice online. It comes to my email account. Hey, your your Verizon bill is due. Hey, the Spectrum bill is due. Yeah, I get the bill. Hey, this is your credit card statement. I don't even get any of that stuff in the mail, and I don't send it off in, in the mail. I say, okay, I you know I override and whatever. Well, I go you know I just go online and I just authorize the payment. So. And I don't think I'm unique. It's just that the number of people using those first-class services have gone down. And this isn't the fault of, of the men and women who deliver mail. It's just part of the, the changing business that's out there. But let's tee this up, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's a business model that is struggling. And I, I think we have to recognize the need to start making certain changes. And I think eliminating Saturday delivery would be essentially a painless start. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Candy in West Dallas. Hello. Hi. What do you think? my radio. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I've been thinking about it for years. The letter carriers should get a two-day weekend. Why work days a week? Let them have two days a week off. Well, and I, well, I think what happens is I, I think they, they have the letter carriers that work on different schedules and stuff. So I, I mean, it's not like they're necessarily working overtime. But let me ask you the bigger question, Candy. If, if, you, if you only got mail at your house Monday through Friday, would that cause you a significant amount of heartburn? 
No, no, I've been thinking for years, really, Saturday delivery could be out, because what really do we get on Saturday? Right. Yeah. Well, that, right. Right. Or, or what are you going to, to do with it? I mean, like I say, if you get a, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example. If you get, if you happen to get a check in the mail on, on a Saturday and it, in the mail comes at you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, like ours does, you're, you're not going to be able to deposit that check anyways till Monday morning, even if you, for the people who still get checks in the mail. I, now, thanks for the call. I guess that's, that, that, that's the thing that I kind of look at is, is, and again, this isn't a rant on the post office. I, I'm I'm a fan. I, I think they do a, a very very good job. But at the same time, you, you have to recognize that these losses long term are are just unsustainable. So if we acknowledge that we have to make changes, what are some of the less painful changes? And the estimates I've seen say they think by eliminating Saturday delivery, they could save in the neighborhood of two billion dollars a year, which is you know when when you're looking at some of these deficits that's you know that's a drop in the bucket but still if you could do this without harming people why not do it and again i don't know about you but um I don't get that many checks in the mail anymore. I mean, I, I think, you know, Social Security, social, I'm not on Social Security, but Social Security gets delivered, you know, they, they, they deposit the check directly to your, your bank. I mean, I understand there might be occasions where that happens, but it it's not like, well, it used to be where everybody is just running out to the mailbox to see if the check came in. Okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If they eliminated Saturday delivery of mail, would that cause you any sort of heartburn? And my argument is, look, if we've got to start figuring out ways to cut, I think that's an easy, I think that's the low-hanging fruit. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, I say do away with the uh, Saturday deliveries. I mean, uh, in reality, what do you get on Saturday? You get some checks from a rebate thing, you know, like you bought a bottle of whiskey or uh, toilet paper, you get a refund check for that. You're not going to do that until Monday. Right. And uh, otherwise you get junk mail. And uh, I often joke with my mailman, I call him the billman instead of the mailman. <laughs> Even though I'm 50, 50%, you know, online and uh, getting in some bills online, but... Uh, it's just uh, I can do away with it and uh, give these guys a weekend off. Well, I mean, thanks. And, and again, I, I see what, what the proposal was, and it's something that I I believe in. You you, you know, the, the postal service, if it is competing with FedEx and UPS and Amazon Prime and all these things, uh, the, the package delivery, which is a profitable aspect of it, you know, you continue the package delivery, and you do that seven days a week. But the in home delivery, again, to me, it's just it, it's not a necessary thing anymore. And I want to share some. I've gotten a ton of texts on this. I want to share a couple because it, it does reflect some of the, the thinking that, that's out there. Um, Jeff, people still mail bills and depend on Saturday delivery. Well, I mean, people still mail bills, but who depends on Saturday delivery? You can mail bills over the weekend, but if you go to most postal service drop boxes, it's it's not going to get picked up until Monday anyways. That's just kind of the reality on this. I have a text here that says, um, 
uh, it, it says something to the extent of, you know, Jeff, you, you make the same mistake that all these Republicans make, and that is that um, you, you, need to, you need to recognize that the Postal Service is a service, and it shouldn't be expected to make a profit. Oh, oh okay. And, and my response to that would be that the person that's sending me that text makes the mistake that, I mean, I guess some hardcore liberals would make, which is the idea that just because you've had something doesn't mean that you have to automatically and always continue it in the same fashion. I mean, the, the pl- classic example I can give you is, is like bus service. All right, maybe, you, you st- and I agree, you, you don't run bus services to make money. It, it is a service. But you're trying not to lose too much money because if it's got to be subsidized by the taxpayers, there's only so much they're going to pay. So if you have a, a bus route, that maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago, I don't know, maybe on a given day, let's say that bus route had, just pick a number, a 1,000 bus riders, okay? And, and now now there's only a 100 on that route. Well, it doesn't make any sense to have as many buses on that route as you, you know, to service a 1,000 as you did to service to service a 100. So just because you have something and you've done something one way doesn't mean that you always have to do it that way without making changes. And I, I think from the perspective of the Postal Service, as somebody who wants to see it continue and, and wants to see, you know, there be mailboxes around that people can mail stuff in, you have to recognize that the way people use the mail service has changed dramatically over the years. And again, it's people aren't sending first class letters anymore. And I understand some people still do it. But in general, the numbers show a drastic drop in, in first class mail, which is where the Postal Service makes money. And that is, in my opinion, because lots and lots of people don't use the Postal Service to send bills anymore. The, um, they, they get all the stuff electronically, so the, the services that bill them, you know, they, they're not using the Postal Service anymore either. So that's money out of the pocket of the U.S. Postal Service. People aren't writing letters. They're sending notes with email. That's money out of the, the service. So th- this idea that, you know, we, we can't ever change anything because we've always done this one way or the other, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't make sense. Now, again, I appreciate that some of this stuff is beyond the control of the post office. You know, whenever the post office looks at closing what I will call unproductive or unprofitable post offices, well, then then you know that the politicians always go nuts because people in their neighborhoods complain. But the truth of the matter is, if you owned, let, let's say you owned the, you know, Jeff's gas stations and, and you had three gas stations within a, I don't know, five or six mile radius, and two of them were making money and one was losing money. Well, what would you do? Well, you'd close the one that was losing money. That That's just the way it works. The Postal Service, I think, has got to be the same way. You have to apply business premises and business ideas. Now, again, I, I understand that the Postal Service isn't really a private business. It's a quasi-private operation because, you know, the government still has all this say-so. But we, we need to, if you want to see it grow and thrive and survive and be something that's around well into the 21st century, and that's what I want to see as well, you, you've got to allow it to be flexible with the times. And, and what's going on? What is the reality? Less first-class mail is being sent. Um, less need for six-day-a-week delivery. The package stuff, which is profitable, yeah, you do that seven days a week because you're making money doing that. But I think this idea that, well, we've always done it this way, 
So let's keep doing it this way. You, you got to move past this. And by the way, this isn't politics. It, it's not, to me, this has nothing to do with the mail-in voting or things like that. It's just the reality of how can, how can we make sure that the Postal Service stays viable? Because if you're saying to the taxpayers, well, we want the taxpayers to suddenly, you know, infuse a hundred or two hundred billion dollars into the postal service, then you're really going to have a huge political battle. All right, when we come back, when does this all end? I'll explain. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Survive today, thrive tomorrow throughout the pandemic. That's been the mantra of Good Karma Brands, the parent company of 620 WTMJ. That refrain has also infused our enduring commitment to bring you the latest news, traffic, and weather, compelling shows and discussion about the issues that matter, and our unrivaled play-by-play coverage of the Packers, the Brewers, and the Bucks. All this week, we'll tell the story behind GKB, who we are, and why what we do matters. All right. Notice this. I sent out a tweet. But matter of fact, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. We talked about this when it first happened a couple weeks ago. The, the city of Chicago had placed a, a quarantine order. If you travel to Wisconsin, you were, and then you came back to the city, you were supposed to quarantine for, for two weeks. Remember, and we, we discussed whether that would be enforced. And as a practical matter, I think most people just kind of looked at it and rolled their eyes. I don't know that while that quarantine order was in effect, you saw any fewer cars from Illinois. And I understand not Illinois is Chicago, but I don't think you saw any fewer Illinois cars or license plates in Lake Geneva or in the Wisconsin Dells or in Door County um, o- over the last couple, last few weeks. So I'm not sure anybody was paying attention to the quarantine order, but in any event, The nightmare is over. They have now lifted the quarantine order when it comes to Wisconsin. They've added a couple other states, um, but but Wisconsin is now off the quarantine order. Now, I do have a question, though, and I sent out a tweet about this when I saw this a couple days ago. My, My question is, quarantine order or no, who in their right mind wants to go anywhere near Chicago right now. I mean, I don't know if you've been following the stuff that's going on in Chicago. They have, um, first of all, you, you even before the recent riots, and that's what's been going on there, they, they've had out-of-control crime. I mean, the number of shootings and homicides over on any given weekend, if you think the numbers are bad in the city of Milwaukee, and by the way, they are bad in the city of Milwaukee, it's nothing compared to what's going on in Chicago. So, I mean, literally, you go down to Chicago, you're taking your life in your own hands. So then you've got, so you've got the out-of-control crime rate. You, you've had the riots, which have been going on over the course of the last few weeks, where you have the, the vandalism up and down. On Michigan Avenue, you had an incident the the other day where there was altercations with the with the police. So you have that going on, and if you haven't been paying attention, massive store closings in, in Chicago. It used to be, hey, we'll travel to Chicago because you know that that'll be great. Um, well, there, there's nothing nothing going on in Chicago nowadays. You've got all these stores that are shut. Navy Pier, which might have been, I mean, I, I love Navy Pier. Just it's a great place to go for a while. Navy Pier announced that that the business there is so far down that they're going to close right after Labor Day. They're going to close September 8th, and they're not even going to reopen till the spring because, again, the business is just so far off. So, again, the quarantine order is not in place, but 
Who who would want to go there in the first place? Just asking. All right. The ballet. Now, now, Jeff, why are you talking about the ballet? Well, I'm a Renaissance guy. So the, the Milwaukee Ballet today announced that um, typically they, they had scheduled their season opening performance uh, is the ballet Cinderella in October. That They've now canceled that. All right. Um, every year for the last 40 years, the ballet has performed the Nutcracker at the Marcus Performing Center in, in December. So they, they've done the Nutcracker. And the, I, I don't care if you're a ballet fan or not, but the Nutcracker is it's a great performance to go to because it's first of all it's not like swan lake and it's four acts i mean it's two acts it's the the way they do it it's got kids it's colorful it's a it's a great holiday thing and i've always recommended uh, again for people who want to start getting into ballet go 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 see the nutcracker it's a great performance it's a great show it's it's not too heavy you you'll enjoy it. You'll have a good experience even if you don't develop a love for the ballet. You you'll you'll enjoy it. It's a good entertaining time. So anyhow, they've announced today that they're not going to do it at the Marcus Performing Arts Center in in December. And again, the the reason is COVID-19. Now they they're saying we're we're not we're not canceling this, but we're we're not going to be able to do it like we typically do at, at the Marcus. Um we we're, we're hopeful that maybe we can you know, we, we can figure out alternative ways to present the, this show. I mean, maybe taking it on the road, smaller venues. I mean, who knows? I don't know what they're going to do. And they're hoping that they're going to be able to resume their their calendar of in-person back at the Marcus performances starting in February. That That's their, their hope. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I hope they're right. But my question to you is, when when does this end? Do you believe that by February we're going to be in a situation where we're we're back looking at in-person events? I mean, I you know the college bas- uh, the college football season by and large has been has been canceled. I mean, some are saying, you know, we're going to do some of it in the spring. Maybe that'll happen, maybe it won't. Um college basketball well, I, I think nobody's come up with a very good plan, but at least I'm talking about college basketball where you actually go and you sit in the stands and there's, you know, 18,000 people at Fiserv cheering on the Marquette basketball team or, for that matter, the, the Bucks. you know, when they resume the, the season. I mean, it, is there any realistic chance in your mind that, that we are going to be attending sporting events? attending performances of the ballet, attending the opera, going to large events. Do you see any way that that's going to be happening by late fall or by early next year? And what's it going to take to do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I don't mean to be Debbie Downer on this. I I really don't. But the longer the, the pandemic goes on, the more and more convinced I become that this, this is going to be the way of life for 
at least the foreseeable future. And I'm not even sure that, that a vaccine coming into place really changes the dynamic because there's a lot of people who aren't going to get the vaccine, at least not at first, even assuming that they come up with a safe and effective vaccine. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will we be attending concerts? Will we be doing concerts? You know, will we be attending performances in, in January of next year? What do you think? Candidly, I, if, if I was a betting man, and I am, you would, I, I'd say, I think it's probably about 75-25 that we're essentially in the same position ne- in January that we are now. And I'm not rooting for this. I'm just saying I think that's where we're going to be for the foreseeable future. And for everybody who's making plans saying, okay, well, by the end of the year, it's going to be back to normal. And we're going to have this concert schedule and there will be scheduling all the winter concerts and stuff like that. I don't see that happening. Am I wrong? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. I mean, my, my question is, when when does this, this end? If you're just tuning in, Milwaukee Ballet said that, okay, they've, they're canceling their October production. They're hoping to do the Nutcracker that they've staged in front of audiences in, in December. They're hoping to do that in sort of a different kind of way, whatever that means. And they're hoping to resume their regular schedule in February. I, I, my question is, do, do you think stuff like that is realistic? Do you, do you think you're going to have college basketball uh, again? Do you... What, what is the NBA going to do? You know, what is the National Hockey League going to do? Is it going to be more of this kind of virtual stuff? I mean, what is the end game here? Let's talk to Stephen in Waukesha. Stephen, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm so I work in the or formerly worked in the entertainment industry. Uh, I'm going to be losing my job at the end of the month, unfortunately, due to this whole thing. So I, I very easily foresee this lasting kind of through February of next year, for sure. And I think you're right, even with a vaccine, you know, you're going to be sitting in a crowded room. You're going to be wondering on the back of your mind who's gotten the vaccine, who's an asymptomatic carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially for sports teams, I think they're just going to keep playing in the bubble, um, kind of like the NBA has been until there's – I foresee this well into the summer of next year, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, that, uh, I'm not disagreeing with you. I was just a heavy sigh. I couldn't because yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. I, I I want I want normal uh, about all this, but this is just kind of the reality, Jeff. I think this will affect large gatherings at least until next spring. What do you think will happen for Halloween? I'm already seeing the decorations, candy, and costumes in stores. Um, you know, I, well, I, I tell you, I mean, I, this is going to be Halloween like no other. I, I don't think you're going to see trick or treating going on. Um, you, you've already seen like the Halloween celebrations at like the big theme parks like Disney World and Universal. They've already been canceled. Have a text, um, you know, I have a text here from somebody who's saying that, uh, you know, he, uh, on the flip side of this, he says he plays in a band. They played at an outdoor venue last weekend that typically they draw 250 people. This venue, they drew 500 outdoors because people, you know, want to go out. They, they want us, they want a sense of normalcy. And I think there is in, incredible, I think there's incredible pressure for that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think we, we, we all want that. I mean, I've been, I've been taking some of my vacation over the course of the last couple of months because I, I don't know what's going to happen in the fall. I, I know trips I 
you know, I was scheduled to do a river cruise. That got canceled. I, I typically go to Las Vegas in October. Well, to, to see shows. Well, those shows aren't touring anymore. So I've been like, trying to use a little bit of the vacation just to do stuff around here and, you know, get outside and play golf and do those kind of things. Cause I don't know what the fall is going to look like, but I, I don't see things being, you know, diametrically different in the fall than they are now. And you do wonder how much longer is this going to go on? Number of people are making the point that they think if uh, Joe Biden beats Donald Trump in November, then mysteriously everything's going to be fine and it's going to go away. Don't know about that. Even I'm not quite that cynical, but this, somebody was asking me the, the other day about, you know, the, the station on. I said, I just, I want stuff to go back to normal. I just, I, I, I want to be able to go to Summerfest. I want to be able to go to State Fair. I want to be able to do opening day stuff. I want normal. Just don't know when we're going to get there. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Sir, Eric Bilstead, my advice to you is, you grow, is, is, is don't get old or don't let your body get old. Okay. It's just, I, I've been telling you, this is the first time in my life I'm dealing with this, like, sci- sciatica is what they call it. It's sort of like your, it's your, like the nerves in your back, you know, kind of compress. Mm. Okay. And, and what it does is it sends this sort of like like for me it's not a debilitating pain but it's kind of like in one side of your back and it goes through your butt and then down your leg and stuff and it's it's I, I have aggravated this over through like lots of walking and stuff like that so it's just sort of annoying it, it like hurts to sit you were playing too much golf i was well actually there, there's an element of that and it's it, it's like so i mean so it's like okay well you know i should really take off a few days doing this but i enjoy doing it and i'm running out of time so it's kind of like like you know give me an a leave or give me an advil and i'll kind of power, power through, through this yeah, stuff yeah. but yeah it's but I, I, it's a relatively common thing i guess as you get older and that's why you have doctors and chiropractors and things like that and it's going to get you a pillow or something you can sit on no or? i'm good I'm, I'm 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 good but it's it is it's the first time i've ever had this in my life and it's kind of like huh it's you know, <laughs> huh. I, I don't I, really care for I, this I, I just, right i understand why people are complaining about all mm-hmm. this stuff no 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 i'm we will tough it out all right let's talk about masks now I, I i bring this up because i think there is a disconnect when when people talk to pollsters you have people who say we overwhelmingly, we support mandatory mask rules. I think the Marquette Law School poll that came out last week, like three out of four people, we, we support mask rules, okay? And, and, and that's, that's fine. That's what people tell pollsters. But the reality is quite different. 34 states, including Wisconsin, have some form of mask rule. Some of them are, are inside. Some of them are, you know, every time you're out in public, you know, so, so it varies from state to state. But the, the question becomes, you know, what, what do people really do? So people, people tell the pollsters, we support this. We're all in favor of it. The Los Angeles Times now did, did a really interesting and it's anecdotal. You know, but but they did it over a period of time, and it's kind of interesting. California, because California has been a hotbed of coronavirus, especially over the last few months, California has had a mask requirement both indoors and outdoors for the last several months, and it's punishable by a, a misdemeanor. If you are outside not wearing a mask, you can be cited for a misdemeanor. Now, it's rarely enforced. We'll get to that in just a minute, but but that's what the rules are. So what the LA Times does is it takes a, a bunch of their reporters and they send them out over the course of, of a couple of weeks. They send them to 
various locations in Los Angeles and in, in Orange County down there. And th- they say, okay, what we're going to do is, is they put them in these outdoor locations. Now, everybody outside is supposed to be wearing a mask. That's what the law says. And what they do is they monitor each of these locations. They, they said we, we visited a, a shopping district. We visited Main Street in Huntington Beach. We visited a public park in North Long Beach. We went to all these different places. We monitored each location six times over the course of, of this week. So it's, it's not just that we, we went there once. We went back and forth. We tracked a total of over 3,000 people, you know, passing by in, in multiple shifts. So, again, it, it's it, it's not like they went out and just, just did some scientific study necessarily, but they just said, okay, we're going to go out and this is what we're going to observe. Okay, now the rule is everybody outside is supposed to be wearing a mask. Here's what they, they found. Of the 100% that's supposed to be wearing a mask, 42% were wearing masks correctly. In other words, over the nose and over the mouth. Another 10% had masks on, but they weren't wearing them correctly. Most of the incorrect wearing of the mask was the, the mask... It was like around your ears and then down around your chin. <laughs> so it wasn't covering people's faces and or it wasn't covering people's noses. But so they found 42 percent of the people were wearing masks correctly. Ten percent had masks, but they weren't wearing them appropriately. Forty seven percent, almost one in two, were not wearing masks at all, despite the fact that the rules say that you're supposed to. Now, I thought this was interesting because, again, you've got this this disconnect between people who say, yeah, we, we, we should be wearing masks, you know, and yes, the, the law should say we should wear masks, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got the, the reality that a lot of those, if 75% of the people are saying, yes, you should wear masks, but then, you know, let only 40% are, are, are doing it. It tells me that there's a lot of kind of virtue signaling that's, that's going on there. And, you know, I don't think those numbers are necessarily out of line, especially when it comes to, you know, wearing masks outdoors. Indoors might be a little bit of a different situation. But, you know, Milwaukee, city of Milwaukee has an outdoor mask requirement. It's one of, I don't know that there's other, any other communities in the state, maybe there are off the top of my head, I can't think of one, that requires masks at this point in time outdoor. But I, I, I drive around the city of Milwaukee on, on occasion. Again, it's just anecdotal. I, I, I almost never see people wearing masks outdoors. I just, I, I just don't. I'm not saying people don't do it, but I'm all, I almost never see people, even people that are in groups, wearing the masks outdoors. So it tells me that there's a lot of non-compliance. Is it one out of two? Is it one out of three? Is it two out of three? I, I don't know. But there's a lot of people that aren't paying attention to to these laws, despite what they might tell the pollsters. Which brings me to what I want to discuss with you, and that is. How vigorously should we be enforcing these rules? There's a story um, from yesterday or two days ago in the Washington Post. The headline is, Fed up with anti-maskers, mask advocates are demanding mandates and fines. So our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To the extent you have ordinances on the books, laws on the books, that require people to wear masks indoors and or outdoors. All right, have we now reached the point 
do you want to see these being enforced? Do you want to see the health department coming in and going after individuals who aren't wearing them? Do you want to see people when they, you know, who are calling in their neighbors and saying, hey, there's a party in the, in the backyard and, and nobody's wearing, you know, masks and everybody's together. Do you want to see this vigorously enforced or is this more just like a suggestion? It, it's, it's recommended that you do it, but if you don't, don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you because it appears that there's a lot of people who aren't following these rules. How aggressively should we be in enforcing them? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, California, LA Times, their, their study found that less than half of people were wearing masks properly despite a law that says you have to. All right, do you want to see this more aggressively enforced? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I have said all along, I just don't see this as being practical. And, and I certainly don't see this as something that, gee, you know, if, if your neighbor's having a party and there's 15 people in the backyard in the city of Milwaukee and people aren't wearing masks, I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine the Milwaukee Police Department or the Milwaukee Health Department rolling up and starting to issue citations. To me, this is probably a best practice and a recommendation, but I just don't see it's practical to start trying to aggressively enforce this against individuals. 855-616-1620, we discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Jeff, this, I mean, here's the thing. Well, like last Tuesday, the Marquette University Law School poll comes out and says 70% of voters support face mask requirements in all public places. Well, okay, that, that that's fine. That's what people say. Um, L.A. Times does this survey. It is actually they, they go out and they do these inspections. And, and what they find is California has an outdoor mask requirement. They find that less than half of the people are, are wearing masks or wearing masks properly. So, I mean, people say one thing and then they go out and, and they do the next. That's just, again, it's anecdotally, that's kind of my experience when I, when I drive through the city of Milwaukee. They've, they've got an outdoor mask requirement, unless you're, you know, two yards away from people, um, unless people are going to be more than two yards away from you. I, I see people in groups all the time. My guess is in the city of Milwaukee, the outdoor aspect, I'm talking outdoor now, compliance Maybe 30%, you know, maybe. Maybe I'm off a little bit. Maybe it's 50%, but I doubt it's any more than that. So what do we do? Do Should we be cracking down on this? Should we be... I don't know, sending the police to those backyard parties. Should we be sending the the health department to the backyard parties? How aggressive do we get? Mike in Menominee Falls. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, uh, Jeff, this is unfortunate. I think it would be the new normal, especially if Democrats uh, win with the never-Trumpers and the Democrats electing Biden and, and turning everything over. This is going to be the new normal. And they got everybody frightened into submission. Mm-hmm. But but people, people aren't, frightened. I guess, I mean, but at the same time, people, people aren't, they might say they want this, but they're, they're not, a lot of people aren't doing it, particularly in the outdoor context. Well, I'll tell you what's going to be happening. They take over. I'm sure you've read George Orwell's 1984. We are living it. Yeah. It, it, with and the, that's what we are. Well, thanks, Nicole. Well, I mean, again, it's just... I, and th- th- this, look, I, I'm not anti-mask. Now, the, the wearing a mask outdoors, I think, 
I, I, I candidly believe that that is a bridge too far. I mean, I don't think that the science necessarily documents that to me. That's more virtue signaling. Inside, I, I think, is, is kind of a, a different dynamic. And my sense is people comply more with the inside sort of thing. But as far as the outside sort of thing, I, I think people are just they're, they're kind of like doing their, their own thing on this, which, um, I, again, makes me wonder what the purpose of of having different rules are. I mean, you can make suggestions, but do we need to start aggressively enforcing these? Um, Jeff, we better find a way to enforce mask wearing or things won't get back to normal for a very long time. Jeff, this needs to be strictly enforced. People can get all offended because they feel their rights are being violated, but um, this is how we have to what we have to do to deal with that. And again, I, I understand there's people who think it works and doesn't work. Jeff, I can't see a mask mandate. I have a problem with being forced to wear a mask. If it was recommended, that would be fine with me. But once you start trying to force and truly enforce the mask is where I see bigger problems starting. Um, Jeff, absolutely not. Um, I don't believe this is the way to go about it. But this is, I mean, this is the tension that, that you have now. And we're living with the mask mandates. I, I think, again, I, I think the inside stuff, I understand why we have that. Now, again, you, you, you look at some of the states that have had these mask mandates for months still are, are seeing, you know, growth in, in COVID-19. But I guess I lump it in the category of, of it, if it can't hurt. But having said all that, how aggressive are we going to be moving forward, particularly with some of these rules that people don't appear to be complying with? I mean, do you really want the police or the health department to be setting up, I don't know, you know, outside some venue and then pulling over people and citing people when when they walk over and they're in a couple and the, the they're walking hand in hand and they're they're not wearing a mask? I mean, do you want to have the health department to send on, on public parks and walking into picnic areas and saying, you're not wearing a mask. Here, we're going to give you a ticket. How practical is that? Because I do think there is a huge disconnect right now between, especially with outside mask wearing, what people say and what people do. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. So very glad to have you with us looking for their first trip to the big game since Super Bowl II, the Green Bay Packers stepped out onto Lambeau Field with a chance to bring in an end, bring an NFC championship back to Titletown. Tune in this Sunday at 6 for another Packers Classic as Brett Favre and company take on the Carolina Panthers in the 1997 NFC Championship game. Packers Classic is sponsored by Health Tradition, Sitzberger and Company CPAs, and our friends at West Bend Insurance. Yeah, that's cool. I can I tell you, can't cannot wait for uh cannot wait for football season to start again even even if it's uh well a large, largely virtual sort of thing. All right, I, I I love the headline in the local newspaper. It got my attention. Always love the headlines. The headline, we got hosed. 
Even most DNC logos have now erased Wisconsin. When the logo for the 2020 Democratic National Convention was unveiled earlier this year, Wisconsin was at the heart of it. Its silhouette formed the center of the zero in D20, in Democratic Convention 20. Wisconsin was recently replaced by a silhouette of the United States of America on the 2020 Democratic National Convention website and elsewhere. The move comes as the DNC shifted from an event that was initially expected to bring 50,000 people to Milwaukee, and an almost uh, now it's almost entirely virtual. Local officials noticed and were taken aback at the change, said one source who asked to remain anonymous. There's nothing Milwaukee about this convention at all. We got hosed. <laughs> well, they, they did, actually. So then the, the guy from the DNC says, well, uh, given the fact that um, given the fact that nobody's coming to Milwaukee and that nothing's happening in Milwaukee, we didn't want to give the impression that people were in Wisconsin if they weren't. So I guess the, the idea is we're trying to be transparent here. Yes, we, we promised that there would be 50,000 people. And yes, we promised that Joe Biden was going to be there. And yes, we promised that Senator Harris was going to be there. But, you know, it, it's just all kind of changed. And the fact is that nobody's there. So the reality is nothing really is going on in Wisconsin or in Milwaukee. So we don't want to give anybody the impression that it is. I mean, if Joe Biden is talking to us from his basement in Delaware, well, okay, that's that's what we're going to do. So we don't want to deceive anybody. But you know what? The, the idea that as far as promoting Milwaukee, the fact that the DNC was going to do anything to help out, well, you know, the local convention people are right. They got hosed. Now, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe it's not the fault of the organizers, but that's exactly what happened. Just another blow to this community in 2020. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so yesterday morning, I'm I'm off, minding my own business, having coffee early in the morning, when all of a sudden, my, my phone starts bing, bing, binging, getting Twitter, not- Twitter notifications, and my, my email stuff starts going off. I'm going, what the heck is, is going on here? And I, I start looking at it, and we obviously have a lot of listeners who live in Ozaki County in the Mequon-Thienesville School District, and I'm hearing from a number of them who are absolutely irate. Because out in Mequon Thienesville, that school district, the, the school district and school board had spent a lot of money surveying the parents about resuming in-person instruction. And the numbers came back, and, and overwhelmingly, the parents supported sending the kids back to school, appreciating all the different risks. That's what they wanted to do. And, and that's what was going to happen. So you had all these parents that were you know, making plans for when school started in a couple weeks, and, okay, this is the deal, and the kids are going to be going to school because, I mean, parents – have to deal with child care issues and things of the like. And so that was it. School's going to be in session. This is going to be the deal. We understand that, you know, maybe stuff is going to happen, that we have to backtrack, but the school is going to go ahead and do this. That's what we've been told. Great. Everything is in order. Interestingly, also, last Friday was the deadline for for parents to pay, like, fees and stuff for like the that were associated with the in-person classes so the school board was collecting all this money okay the money's got to be paid by friday all right everything's everything's fine there was a school board meeting that was on on monday 
I, and I've seen the agenda. It's it's one of these like Zoom meetings, and the agenda it, it's kind of pretty ordinary. Item number five, though, says, well, you know, to discuss the next, it says something to the effect of, okay, one of the things we'll be doing is discussing plans for the next school year, all right? It's not like we're thinking of changing our mind and canceling this. So uh, the parents really have no idea in any sort of practical fashion that the school board is thinking about doing a complete reversal and changing what they told they were done. Well, but that is exactly what the school board did. So the parents are finding out um, Monday night, through Facebook, that the school board has decided all this stuff we told you and all the plans that you made, well, never mind, we're, we're not going to do that. And on Tuesday, you have the superintendent of schools sends out this letter that says, well, okay, um, you know, we, we've decided we, we cannot do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have to start virtual learning. Uh, needless to say, the parents that I was hearing from, and there were a lot, were upset. Number one, that the school district wasn't going to try it. And number two, that the school board had done this in what I think many parents believed was a backhanded, slimy way uh, of, of dealing with this instead of, you know, confronting the issue directly. And the purpose was, why get feedback from the parents? Why do these surveys? Why set this all up if you're not going to follow it? Same thing true in Oak Creek Franklin, the the joint school district, that had made the commitment to go back to in-person learning and then, again, at the last minute, decided, okay, we're going to back off on this. So the issue, number one, was the lack of transparency behind this. But number two, behind the last-minute nature of the decision, which really has caused major league problems for the school district. And, of course, this raises the, the issue, particularly in the suburbs. I understand MPS has, has a series of different issues than is faced with, like, some of the suburban schools. You know, the city of Milwaukee remains an epicenter of COVID-19. The city of Milwaukee, the, the living conditions, and it, it's tough to sort of generalize, but, you know, part of that is you have more people living in more crowded conditions. You have a greater dependence, perhaps, on public transportation than you have in the suburbs. So MPS made the decision, and to their credit, MPS decided their position about reopening the schools is they weren't going to reopen the schools. But at least they gave the parents substantial notice so you could figure out what you're going to do. Some of these other school districts, like Mequon Thienesville or, or um, Oak Creek Franklin, they've kind of pulled the rug out from under parents at the last minute. Meanwhile, a number of other suburban schools are going to be going back to in-person instruction. Now, granted, in some cases, it's not five days a week. In some cases, it's it's two days on, take Wednesday off to thoroughly clean the school, then go back to Thursday and Friday. Other school districts are doing like a hybrid where one week you know, divided by alphabet. One week you go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then virtual learning Thursday through Friday, and then you flip. So the next week, you know, you're you're on two days, and then you're you're virtual learning for three. But many of the suburban school districts are at least trying it, and they're again saying, "Hey, we don't know if this is going to work," but they're giving it a, an effort. Other school districts, like Mequon Thienesville, have decided to pull the rug on this really at the last minute. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we accept the premise, and I think it's a fair premise, that that quote-unquote virtual learning, while better than nothing, 
isn't that much better than nothing? I, I think school districts, particularly the suburban school districts, I think they do a huge disservice by not trying to get the kids into the classrooms at least on a part-time basis. Because candidly, I think kids fell way behind in when we had to close down the schools in March. And I, I'm not sure how you ever get that time back. But going back to what we were talking about earlier, I don't know when this ends. I, I mean, I, I as I was saying, I mean, I, I, I don't know that you're going to have mass gatherings any time soon. So are we prepared to say for the next year, for the next two years, we're not going to have the kids back in class? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I, I think you have to try. And if if MPS says, okay, we've got unique issues because, you know, we're the epicenter, all right, that, that's that's fine. Oak Creek is not the epicenter of coronavirus. Um, Thienesville is not the epicenter of coronavirus. Don't you have to try to get the kids back in class for in-person learning, even if it's only a couple days a week, and then see what happens. You know, and, and, and maybe it's going to be the kids are going to go back, and then all of a sudden you're going to have this massive outbreak. Maybe that's, maybe that's what's going to happen. But we don't know that for certain. Shouldn't you be trying? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mean, this is wrong on, on so many levels, and this is happening all throughout the area. It happened in Oak Creek, happened on Monday night in, in Mequon, Thienesville. The school board spends a ton of money surveying the parents. The numbers come back overwhelmingly. The parents want some form of in-person instruction. Okay, so that's what the plan is going to be, with effectively no notice at a Zoom meeting on, on Monday night, the school board, without telling parents that they were really going to be considering this, decides that we're going to pull the plug on, on all these plans. So all you parents who, you know, were working on child care and figured you'd be able, to be able to go back to work, well, sorry, we don't care about you. We're, you know, the, the school board rogered these parents really good. I mean, they, they, they just did. It's the lack of transparency, but more importantly, it's the anti-education philosophy. I think unless you've got a compelling reason, and I understand MPS might be different than, than other areas, but you know, if if I don't know, if Pewaukee can send kids back to school a couple days a week, you mean to tell me Mequon, Thienesville, and Oak Creek, Franklin can't? Um, here's a text, Jeff. I'll give you the opposite problem. Kenosha Unified a couple weeks ago declared they were going completely virtual. As of last night, they changed their mind, and now they're going live. The flip-flopping is awful on parents. They need to make a decision and stick with it, at least for a semester. I'm, I'm gone. Let's talk to Frank in Appleton. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call today. We ran into a similar situation. Um, like Thienesville, Appleton, last week, Wednesday, decided, because they originally had talked about doing uh, two days on and three days off kind of deal, and then they decided last minute, nope, they're going to do all virtual. And uh, we are actually, we only have one kid left in school. She's a senior. She's transferring to Freedom School Districts, which they are having five days and when we went and talked to them, you know, we asked what was their plan if kids started getting it. And they said, well, we plan on, you know, trying to quarantine that one at home. We'll do Zoom with them. And we want to keep pushing forward because we saw that last spring, the virtual, the normal local schools just weren't prepared for right. the online e-learning. You know, right. at that point, then use the state e-learning. Uh, Shyoxin did that. They're doing five days on, in school. 
And if you want the choice of online, they're suggesting you go to the Wisconsin online. The teachers for public schools just aren't prepared for Online yeah. learning, that's yeah. all. It, right, exactly. No, thanks. And again, and I'm not faulty. It's just, it. you know, okay, I, I mean, I think for colleges, it's a poor substitute, but maybe at least with, with, you know, older kids, you can do it. It's dreadful. And we've, we've talked about this before. It just flat out doesn't work. Um, Jeff, Mequon parent here, and we've, I don't understand, I don't think the school board, the school superintendent knows what a hornet's nest they've stirred up. Jeff, Mequon parent here, online, online was a joke the first time around, but we gave him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, if it's the same, it, we will be furious. Also feel like we got duped on the meeting. Very, very frustrated uh, about that. Um, Jeff, the kids have been playing club soccer sports all summer, but now going to school is harmful? Hmm. Jeff, at the July board meeting, they said they would utilize the Washington Ozaki County data, the CDC, and the Pediatrics Association recommendation. Two of the three have issued statements saying kids should be in school for their health, both mental and physical. Now they discredit the CDC and the American Pediatrics and go only with the Washington Kawasaki County numbers. Um, yeah, um, that's that's it. Jeff, they collected all of our fees three days before this decision, but informed the teachers before the board meeting via email that it would be virtual. What's the point of the board? Well, there is an issue with. Um, with that, um, Jeff, uh, I, I was making a delivery out in Mequon, Thienesville area, made a stop um, at a store to get something for lunch. I hear these two women talking, and they don't understand we want our free time. It's not our job to teach these kids. So I, mean, I do think that there was probably some pressure brought by the teachers who did not want to go back to um, school. Let's see. Um Jeff, it's so much more than just them switching to virtual a day later. Oak Creek School District came out uh, with an email saying that they would be allowing a school camp inside the school buildings with paraprofessionals for $100 a week per child. So you can't send our kids to school or do a hybrid option because of COVID. However, they're going to allow kids within the school for $100 a week. Yeah, that's the the other thing. I mean, this is, it's just completely and totally botched up. But you, you do have these school boards that apparently, number one, there's nothing to transparency, and number two, there, there's no common sense that is out there, and it's the kids that end up, you know, losing. Jeff, um, I, you've been saying schools need to give this a try from the beginning, and I absolutely agree. I'm a special education teacher, and my students cannot learn like this. It's frustrating, and it's challenging. Focus on vulnerable populations should be where the districts put the energy and dial in others as health data metrics merit. All right, let me... I'm going to just tell a personal story for for a minute. My um, w- my my son-in-law is is a is a special education teacher. I'm, I'm not going to name where he teaches, but you know he he's just been talking about for the last several months about the especially if you're a special ed teacher the limitations of, of online learning. It just for special needs kids it just doesn't work, and, and it's it, it's not it's not because. The parents are punched out, and it's not because the teachers aren't trying. It's just it doesn't work. I mean, he's been spending at least a good portion of the summer 
going around and, and actually visiting some of his students and trying to work with them because he, he understands that if you if you confine this and make it be virtual learning, these kids just they're, they're going to fall farther and farther behind. And my son-in-law, who is a very, very dedicated teacher, it's just not acceptable to him. So it is frustrating to me that you have these school boards that apparently just don't care about the educational process. And that's my idea. Again, you, you, you give it a try. I understand the city of Milwaukee that is a COVID-19 epicenter, but whether it's Oak Creek or Mequon Thienesville or some of these other locations, they're, they're not. And I'm not saying there's not coronavirus in these areas. There, there, there is. But isn't it worth trying to give it a try. And let's see what let's see what happens. Really? You're willing to put those children's lives at risk? Okay, well this that's one of the texts. This is the hysterics that, that that you end up dealing with. Yes. Let let's give it a try. Kids, by the way, as a general rule, aren't dying because of this. Now, can somebody get sick and bring it home? Yeah, I, I understand that. But you gotta cut the hysterics because if if you take the attitude of this one texter, you're gonna put these children's lives at risk, then as a practical matter, you're not going to be sending kids to school for two or three years because I firmly believe that's how long COVID-19 is going to be with us in a best-case scenario. You can make an argument that coronavirus is going to be a part of our life always because there's there's going to be people that even once there's a vaccine, that the vaccine doesn't work for them or that they choose not to get vaccinated or, or whatever. So, yes, at some point in time, there is a degree of risk. Yes, we don't close the schools because of the flu. And I understand COVID-19 is different than the flu. But but yeah, we 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 do always accept a degree of risk. So yeah, I'm I balance, you know, risk and reward. I, I think that's the only reasonable approach that you can have to something, you know, like this. Jeff, my son's private school in Milwaukee County is opening full time in person. They submitted a formal plan to the health department, and it was approved. Virtual learning does nothing. Thank goodness my wife and I send our kid to a private school whose staff wants to be open in person. Right, that's that's the idea. Jeff, the teachers aren't thinking about all the parents that work full-time jobs and don't have anyone to watch their kids. You know, they're not going to school. I mean, that's that's a huge you know, issue that is out there. Jeff, it's safe for kids to go back. No deaths or ICU cases in Wisconsin ages 0, 19 for this virus at all. Um, well, you know, yeah, that's kind of it. Uh, Jeff, the decision by the Mequon-Thienesville School District damages the trust between parents, students, and the administration. Additionally, it makes the administrators and school board look incompetent um, as leaders with their decision-making. Yeah, it, it certainly does. I, I think that that's fair to say. Jeff, my wife's job building lawnmowers is essential, but a teaching a, teach, a children teaching our a teacher teaching our children is not. Well, you know, you've got that. Jeff, teachers in K through five need to be made essential. Young kids cannot learn online properly. Um, yeah. Um, that's it. Jeff, I am an employee of the Franklin Public School District. Our parents were given the choice of in-person or virtual. Approximately 20% chose virtual. Right, so 80% want them back in school. The option, you know, it's always been and should always have been, if you as a parent feel uncomfortable sending your kid back to school, I don't think you should have to do it. And that's why in almost all of the school districts, they're offering a virtual 
component that you can opt into. And if you decide to do that because of your concerns or whatever, fine, go with God. I don't have a problem with that at all, recognizing that the degree and the quality of the educational experience that the child gets virtually is probably going to be less than having the kids back in classroom. But, I mean, you give the parents the option, and yes, I say it again, you you try it. And if it turns out that, okay, that this just isn't working because you've got this widespread, you know, passing of the virus, Fine, then then you move back to virtual. But don't you have to try it unless we're going to accept the fact that we're not going to have in-person instruction for the next semester, two semester, three semesters, next two, three, four years? I mean, is that really the situation that you want to find yourself in? And my answer would be no. You've got to try it and see how it works. If it doesn't work, fine. You move to plan B, but you don't bail in the first place, and you don't do what they did in Mequon Thienesville and in Oak Creek Franklin and just decide to back out at the last minute, rogering all the parents who had made plans. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, so, Melissa, I, I just got caught in one of these these internet time sucks, mm-hmm. and I, I knew I was going to get drawn <laughs> into it. it so... I, I, I was on I was on a website just looking at a story, and then all, all of a sudden, it, it, uh, in one of those little boxes, it says, okay, see, see where this celebrity lives and, and oh, the home. And you clicked. And, and so I clicked on it, and so oh. for the last five minutes, while I was paying attention to your yes. news, I was looking at all these different celebrities and pictures of their I've home and the estimated before. value of it. And I, I want that five minutes of my life back, you know. But <laughs> You it's, can never get it back. I, it is. The, the thing that it, it jumps out at you is the, these homes in California, it, that's like where all the, like the Jennifer Aniston sure, in the world live. Sure. You know, and it's like, they're, they're all like 30, 40, 50 million dollar yeah, homes. And yeah. it's just kind of like, okay. And <laughs> But I mean, you know, you couldn't pay me to live in California between, you know, the riots and the fires and the mudslides mm. And, and now the, and, the earthquakes mm-hmm. and, and the, the rolling power outages now yeah. and all this stuff. It's like, really? That's where you want to I mean, live? it looks beautiful. I would visit, but that was it. That would probably, probably be it. You know, it's funny. My niece, who is a senior at San Diego State, she was back last week. And um, I, I was kind of curious as to what she was going to want to do after mm-hmm. she got out of college. Now, she wants to go to law school, and she'll be just a great lawyer. But she doesn't want to be in California for law school. She's yeah. looking at going to Washington, D.C. area or somewhere in the East Coast. So, I mean, I, I think she's she has enjoyed her time in California. Mm-hmm. I think she's ready to to go somewhere else. You know, it's interesting because in my 20s, I went to California quite a bit. I had a girlfriend that lived out there and we would travel up and down the coast, San Jose. We would go, she lived in Monterey and we went up to San Francisco one time and I just, I don't know. I just didn't feel, I was like, oh, I I like visiting, but I'm good. Like, I'm ready to go back. I would always come back going, oh, I have a new appreciation for (laughs) for where I live. Well, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of different sort of stuff. Okay, now, during the break, you you made a very interesting observation that I, 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 it's kind of been in the back of my mind, but it's, it's, I haven't been wanting to think about it because, well, today is August 19th. Yes, it is. Which means... That this summer is almost over for all practical purposes. I look down at my computer and in the corner it has the calculator and it has the calendar and all that other good stuff. And I thought to myself, where did the summer go? August 19th. It's almost August is almost gone. Oh, oh yeah. And, And And I just it just like took me aback for a second. 
Where? What well, happened? <laughs> well, it, right, well, it always. I mean, summers are very, very mm-hmm. short around here. And it, but you're right; it does seem like you know, okay, you go to Memorial Day, and next thing you know, you turn around, it's Fourth of July. Yeah. And now, I mean, we, we've got Labor Day coming up in what just a couple of weeks. That's Labor Day is that with the fifth, sixth, seventh, somewhere in there of September. It's just kind of you're, you're sort of running out of time. And, you know, I know. And, and the the thing, and we were talking about this with a number of friends over the weekend, mm-hmm. is dealing. If you accept my premise that that you know coronavirus is going to be with us for a, a while, foreseeable future, the question becomes kind of what is this? What does the fall look like? Now, one of the things that we've done is. We, We've done a lot of stuff outside. Yes, you know? so, no, I agree. Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 I've, I've probably played more golf this year than you know any other time. I'm not getting better, but I'm I'm you know, but I'm I'm enjoying it because it's something I do with my friends. I do with you know my, my wife and I can go out and, and play in golf your, and stuff like that. In your like mind, that. you keep saying this right. is only going to last for it, so long. It, exactly right. It, it, right. I, I, well, also it's kind of like okay, even though I, I know what the numbers say. You know, th- this might be the day that I'm the second coming of Tiger Woods or something like that. <laughs> that, that hope springs <laughs> that eternal. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's the thing. But, yeah, I mean, it's the middle of August. And, you know, we, we've been dining out a bit, um, but it, it's always been outdoors. And it's been yeah. the patio dining. That stuff is going to go away. And I just wonder, you know, what it's going to look like once, you know, October rolls around and you're talking about – getting darker earlier and getting colder. And we can have nice days in the fall, but we can have, we had seven inches of snow last year on Halloween. That's a great question. I've been thinking about that too. Uh, We have a camping trip coming up in September, so we're going to get that out of the way. And then I'm thinking, well, bonfires out in people's backyards, that might be the next big thing. You might not be going to restaurants outside, but I will tell you, if I were, and it's easy for me to say because I'm not, but if I were a restaurant owner Mm -hmm. that had, had outdoor space, I would be trying to figure out how can I extend the season as long as possible. Is that maybe like like tents, you know, yeah. and, and heaters, heaters, or you know, what are, what are exactly are we going to do? Because I mean, I think there's still this demand, but I think there's just a lot of people who are still uncomfortable eating inside and so uh, you know the you, you got to figure out a way to extend the season as long as possible well it'll be interesting because in the fall will despite whether numbers go up or not will it be kind of like a second shutdown when people aren't able to eat outside for restaurants they're gonna have to prepare for that and prepare for more takeout i don't oh, yeah. i don't well, know what I mean, that's right. gonna look See, like I, but... mean, I, I think that is inevitable because mm-hmm. a number of the restaurants that we go to um i are they, they really they're Okay, so we're, we're sit, we'll be sitting outside on the patio. You, you walk inside, and there's nobody inside. Nobody's inside. There, yeah. There's nobody's yeah. inside. Now, I, I think maybe some people are going to you know move inside as it gets colder and stuff. But I just think there's some people still out there who do not feel comfortable, you know, being inside and closed in spaces for you know a couple hours. Well, if I was a small business right now or a bar, I would be thinking proactively, like you said, how do I change the situation? For what's to come, because right. you don't know what's to come. But well, except you do know it's going to get you colder. Know exactly, yeah, right. and you do know people probably won't be coming inside as much. Right. So interesting. So it's, it's, we mm-hmm. live in interesting times. Hey, to, to the point of interesting times, um, Summerfest out with the the new numbers, and they are they're not good. Milwaukee World Festival, which is the company that runs Summerfest, and if you're a regular listener, you you know that I am a huge fan of Summerfest. I'm a huge fan of the executives that run Summerfest. I think they've done a great job. But um, I, I, I always I, mean, I don't mean to be sounding alarm bells and things like that. But you look at these numbers, and it demonstrates how 
how fragile the, these different entities are. Here, here's the deal. Summerfest, and again, it's Milwaukee World Festival, which is the, the that's the, the corporate umbrella that runs Summerfest. They're projecting a loss of $10.4 million this year, not unexpected, since the you know the event was canceled because of the you know pandemic, um, cash balances are at about five million dollars. Are projected to be around three point eight million in twenty twenty one. The organization's policy they they try to be be very they try to be very proficient and, and keep you know uh, about twenty five percent of cash operating expenses in in reserve. Um, but you know they're they're going to have to build those reserves back over the next couple of years. Now I don't want anybody to interpret what I'm saying as my belief that Summerfest's in in danger. It's it's not. But um, at the same time, you have to understand that it, you know things come and go. I mean, who who would have thought when I was a kid growing up that you know Northridge would would be this the the desert that that Northridge is right now? That was this giant shopping center. Think of all the the businesses, the places like Boston Store that if you grew up around here, I mean the Boston Store was an institution that that's gone. Things are in fact fragile, and that's why we need to appreciate them, and we need to do whatever we can to support them. And again, I'm not arguing that Summerfest is going to go away in the next year or two, but just like a lot of businesses were having really, really tough times, Summerfest got hit especially hard as well, and is something that is, I, I think, just a massive, uh, a massive aid and assist to you know everything that goes on around here in the summer. Um, you know, you never like to see these numbers. Hopefully, we get through this coronavirus thing sooner rather than later. All right. When we come back, was it really Trump's fault? We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, I realize politics is not being bad, and I, I understand that. You know, one one of the things that one party does is try to blame the other party for, you know, all the bad things in the world. As I have also said before, I if Donald Trump loses the election in November, I believe it is going to be because of coronavirus and his response to the pandemic. Now now hear me out. I, I I think if this were a normal election year where the economy, for example, was the, the principal issue, I, I think President Trump would have probably cruised to re-election, e- even with all the baggage and all that other stuff. Well, this is not a year like any other. I mean, we've got a virtual convention going on, for goodness sakes. And, you know, you've got the economy, which was upended by the the pandemic. You know, we're talking about all these issues. You know, are schools going to reopen, et cetera, et cetera. It's a completely different dynamic. And one of the things that's going on is I think there's a lot of people who blame President Trump for what's going on. Now, as we've talked about before, I I don't know that I think that that's fair. I think it's fair to say that the president did not appreciate the significance of this early on and perhaps or forget perhaps, was not as empathetic 
as maybe he needed to be. But other than that, you're, you're kind of arguing around the edges on this stuff. You, you know, could, would you, if you had shut down the country to, you know, outside travel, you know, a week or two earlier, would, would that have made any substantial difference? I mean, you know, right now, you know, we're, we're still seeing numbers at an unacceptably high rate. And that's even after, you know, we've got 34 states that have mask requirements. Would that have been any different if, you know, two months ago, the president, to the extent he thought he had the power, you know, imposed some sort of national mask mandate. I don't think he had the power to do it, but I will concede that the president has not been as empathetic as as perhaps people would have wanted him to be. But I, I do keep coming back to the question of saying, okay, if he, even if he was more empathetic, is there anything substantive that, that he could have done that would have made a difference? Which brings me to something that happened at the virtual Democratic National Convention on Monday night. There was this this woman, her name is Kristen Urquiza, and she's the she's the lady whose father died at the age of 65 of coronavirus. And she had written uh, an obituary in the Arizona newspapers, you know, blaming President Trump. She got a lot of attention. And then she was one of the speakers on on Monday night. Um, here's here's just a summary of what she had to say. She says, I, I'm one of the many who have lost a loved one to COVID. My dad, Mark Anthony Orquiza, should be here today, but he isn't. Um, and the reason, she essentially said, was President Trump. She said, my dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump, and for that he paid with his life. You know, she goes on to say, Donald Trump may not have caused the coronavirus, but his dishonesty and his irresponsible actions made it so much worse. One of the last things that my father said to me was that he felt betrayed by the likes of Donald Trump. So when I cast my vote for Joe Biden, I will do it for my dad. All right. She went on to say, um... My dad voted for Trump, listened to him, believed him and his mouthpieces when they said that coronavirus was under control and was going to disappear, that it was okay to end social distancing rules before it was safe, and that if you had no underlying health conditions, you'd probably be fine. So in late May, after the stay-at-home order was lifted in Arizona, my dad went to a karaoke bar with his friends. A few weeks later, he was on a ventilator, and after five days, he died alone in the ICU with a nurse holding his hand. My dad was a healthy sick. 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition, again, was trusting Donald Trump, and for that, he paid with his life. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I think it is more than fair to blame President Trump for a a lot of stuff that goes on. But here, this lady says, you know, Donald Trump, it's, it's because of Donald Trump that my dad died, because he made the decision when they uh, again lifted the stay-at-home order. He 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 went to a karaoke bar and, and he got sick. And for that, I blame President Trump. I'm sorry, I don't think that's fair. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I mean, we're adults. We we make decisions. There's all sorts of information that, that is out there and has, in fact been out there and and people make those decisions and if you decide that you want to go to a karaoke bar and be around people okay that's that's a decision that you make but is it's the president's fault if you get sick 
And is it fair to blame the president when you get sick? And my answer is that that's a bridge too far. I'm sorry this lady's dad died. And I understand it, it's kind of compelling, you know, red meat politics. And, and that's fine. Not criticizing you for taking that position. But all right, let, let's do our own little version of PolitiFact. Is it fair to blame President Trump for... I don't know, the fact that her dad gets sick after he goes to a karaoke bar in Arizona. 855-616-1620, we discuss next. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. (laughs) 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and again, I I think there's certainly all sorts of things you can criticize President Trump for, including... I think mostly the the lack of empathy and the failure to recognize the significance of this COVID-19 problem in the beginning and and maybe some of the minimizing it. But I I, I watched this lady. I I mean, I'm sorry. She lost her father. Father lives in Arizona. Um, They they had a stay-at-home order. The COVID numbers apparently went down. They they lift the order. He runs out to a karaoke bar. He gets sick and he dies. And and she's saying, oh, this, this is Donald Trump. He's responsible. Really? Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. No, you can't blame the president for the uh, the hundreds of thousands of deaths that have, have, have uh, happened in this country over the last several months. But the fact is, is that uh, leadership from the presidency was very important early on in, in this pandemic. And uh, President Trump did not stand up to him. He downplayed this to the point where people were listening to him, even those that couple that listened to him about the that uh, the, the so-called uh, drug the so-called drug that uh, you could take, uh, they they went and took took some 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 drug from their their that they would give to the fish in their in their fish plant because they listened to the president. So so his 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 voice lends weight to a lot of things, and for him to to downplay this so and talk about this was going to end in April and everything else, you know, uh, uh, it, it, it was shameful. Mm-hmm. So no, but you can't blame him for 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 Mrs. Lakeisha's father's dying. The fact is, you know, you take the president's word that it is what it is. All these deaths that happen. So the fact is, the empathy, the 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 character that that it took to to fight this pandemic, we didn't have it in this country. Yeah, right. Thanks. And I, and again, I think that that's. I think that. There, there's there is fair criticism that you can have, including the fact that that maybe he did not appreciate the significance of this and maybe he minimized it more than he should. And I, I think that's fair as a substantive matter. I, I don't know that there is anything that any elected official that could have done could have done to significantly change the di- dynamic. I mean, to the extent that people think like the mask rules make a difference and keep in mind, the original CDC advice was don't wear masks. So that only changed a few months to the extent that he didn't embrace that or didn't, you know, recognize that. Okay, I I think you you can fault stuff around the edges. But at the end of the day, and he's going to have to own this. There's just no question in my mind. He's going to have to own it. But owning the fact that, okay, maybe you weren't as empathetic or, or maybe you didn't appreciate the significance of this as quickly, that's different than saying, gee, there's really stuff that you could have done that would have changed the course of this, because I don't know that, that that's true at all. But then to say, okay, that a 65-year-old guy, knowing that there's this pandemic that's going on, makes a decision that he and his buddies are going to go to uh, you know a karaoke bar. All right, you, you got to own some of this yourself. And I don't mean to, I, I, I understand she's suffered a loss, but she's the one that's putting herself in the political 
physical arena. And my guess is there's all sorts of reasons why dad made the decision that he was going to go out to the karaoke bar beyond just the fact that, you know, President Trump said, hey, you know, we, we think this thing is under control. This is Jeff Wagner.